Hey, Combo Nation, we're really here. Hey, here's something for you. That thing you wanted to start, start it today. Get better every day. Greatness is on the way. Combo Nation, what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 269 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Share this episode with a friend. Share it on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Share it everywhere. Also, man, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. If you would like to support the podcast even further, you could join in as a Combos Court Patreon member. There's two tiers, and on one of those tiers, you can receive bonus content. That's right, extra episodes of Combos Court. So check out the Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. Today's show, Chris Oliver, founder of Basketball Immersion, joins in. Just a fantastic conversation. Can't wait for you all to hear it. Chris is an expert in basketball decision training. He mentors coaches to maximize their players' potential. You could find more about Basketball Immersion on Twitter at B-Ball Immersion. That's B-B-A-L-L-I-M-M-E-R-S-I-O-N. Chris is also the host of The Basketball Podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to that. You could find me on Twitter at Combos Court. That's C-O-M-B-O-S-C-O-U-R-T. And you know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E. T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Chris Oliver, host of the Basketball Podcast and founder of Basketball Immersion. Welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today? Wonderful. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Uh, tell me more about Basketball Immersion. Well, Basketball Immersion started in 2014, and uh, it's become a worldwide coach education brand, uh, in, especially focused on basketball coach education. And uh been grateful for its growth and grateful for all the coaches that have supported it and been involved in uh, it from the beginning to this point as well. And uh, the basketball podcast started about two and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, really the focus on that was content marketing to be able to bring focus back to basketball immersion. And uh, it's done that and more. And uh, it's been wonderful to be able to connect with so many coaches and uh, to be able to share the game. Most definitely. It's interesting. There's so many ways to go about podcasting, but you know, marketing your brand is a great way to use podcasts as well. Totally. Yeah. It's a, and it's also access and uh, to be able to provide access to, to, to coaches, to be able to learn from others. And uh, you know, basketball immersion is a membership website. So someone buys a membership and they get uh, you know, 500 plus videos of content that we've created. And we also have master classes, which is experts from around the world that share their view. So we wanted to make sure with the podcast and with the master classes that we provide perspectives beyond our own as well. So that it's one-stop shopping for a coach to be able to, you know, develop and improve. And uh, really that's the goal. I mean, I created both of them with myself as an avatar in mind to say, what would I have liked as a young coach or a developing coach? And uh, both of these are things that I wish were around. Yeah, that's a great way to fill a niche for sure. Totally. Yeah. All right. So take me th- take me through your journey as a basketball coach. Where did it all start and how did it lead up to what you do today? Well, long story short, uh, education was always something I valued. Uh, I went to school and uh, broke my ankle. So I did not play college basketball, but I ended up 
you know, again, one of those good fortunes come out of bad fortune type situation. I ended up uh, starting to coach and coaching at a local YWCA and uh, coaching youth basketball. And uh, I knew I was always aligned with coaching. I loved that aspect of the game, the technical, tactical, and obviously seeing people grow. So it evolved from there. And then just opportunities came and, uh, you know, traveled, worked camps and the camp circuit and things that, uh, unfortunately, young people, they don't have those opportunities as much because the camp circuit's not the same. But uh, through all those different experiences and getting a master's and getting NCCP level certified, that led to a head coaching position at 28. And at 28, I was a college head coach and I was at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario for three years before I went to Windsor for 14. And all those things, again, just helped shape so much of who I am and uh, the experience of coaching and seeing people grow and uh, the different things that came from it. But uh, at some point, you know, I think a lot of coaches are wired this way. There becomes this, you know, what else, what's next, whether it's another job or another opportunity. And for me, it became, how can I share authentically what I do. And that's where basketball immersion, that whole concept came from. Your real interest is in the technical and tactical. Um, Do you believe there was a point, because when I played in college, I felt this. And when I got overseas, it was a lot different than when it was in college. Um, Was there overdoing it with the conditioning aspect of college practice? Like a lot of line touches. um, We're doing nothing with the basketball for three months. I mean, how did you balance that? And do you feel that some colleges not all overdid it with the conditioning, even though obviously we need conditioning? Well, again, I mean, it's not for me necessarily to judge others, but I think there's some things that people can do better. And to do better means to be able to kind of really focus in on what is actually valuable for a player to be able to develop and be able to improve the team. And those two things have to be paramount in a coach's mind is what's going to help us win and what's going to help a player develop. And uh, I would say overdoing conditioning takes away opportunities to develop skill. And ultimately, skill is the thing that trumps everything. I mean, the more, more skilled player has more fun, more engagement, more enjoyment playing the game. And we should be so focused on developing the skills of players because the other connection of skill is skill equals confidence. So if a yes. player is more skilled, they're generally more confident. And no matter how much I conditioned, that did not impact my confidence on the floor as much as being more skilled than somebody else. Right. Okay. So we know, Chris, that when you have the best players, you often win. Right. But when you're watching a team, what tells you that this team is coached really well at every level, high school, college, NBA? What are the things that tell you that this is a really well coached team? If they have great players, if they don't have great players, this team is well coached. Well, it's interesting. It depends on the level. But I would say generally, I would say the first thing you notice is the organization on defense. You know, and it doesn't matter the system. I'll be honest. I mean, it does not matter. We can obsess over whether you force baseline or force middle, but people have won doing both. And I think that's the case. But what you see is just a, a team organization and a team system on defense. And then the second thing I think you notice on offense is spacing, you know, and whatever. Again, there's different variations of spacing, but certainly more in the modern game and more nowadays. I think you focus on what coaches are adapting to the modern game and you're seeing spaces to cor- spacing to corners and 45s rather than say the top lane line extended and uh, 45. So, you know, different things like that where you see coaches are adapting and uh, being able to, again, adopt, adapt to the skill of their players. Let's be honest. The changes in the game are not coach driven. They're all player driven. Players are more skilled. Players are more positionless. And uh, because of that, coaches are able to be able to use them in completely different ways than we could 20 years ago. So that's a big part of it as well as seeing coaches kind of adapt, uh, you know, from a three out two in offense to more of a four out or five out offense. And you see that as well. So has the skill development, I mean, I agree with you 100%. The players are now more skilled than ever. 
is that because of the skill development landscape that uh, we have this whole industry now of skill development where we might not have had that 20 years ago? We had it, but it was it was a lot smaller. Yeah, I mean, there. I mean, like everything, I mean, it depends on the situation. It's very situational specific, but right. it, it, it's never a bad thing. I mean, that's my thing. Like, no matter whether I agree with the trainer on Instagram or not, the fact that if one of my players wants to take a video that they see on Instagram or YouTube and they want to try and imitate it or do it, then that's a good thing because that player is now leading themselves to be able to get better. So I think the rise overall in skill development is that players have more access to resources, whether that's a trainer or a YouTube video highlights. I mean, I don't think you, young people sit down and watch an NBA game. They watch the yeah. highlights, right? right? They watch 100%. the highlights on social media or on YouTube or whatever. And, uh, you know, there's good and bad to that, of course, but I do think by and large, it's just been access to resources that has done this. And, uh, you know, I would like to think as a group, as a whole, coaches have got better as well. And certainly, you know, a lot of credit to the training industry in the sense that we've empowered players to be able to have opportunities to improve outside of their regular seasons. And that was yeah. always a challenge as well, because there was a time probably 25, 20 years ago where gym access became a real problem where your high school coach couldn't open the gym for you because of regulations and rules. So trainers have helped open gyms up for players and opportunities for players. And that's important too. The evolution, the evolution of the game is crazy. It's interesting. I mean, coaches used to say we could only jump off the right foot when we take a left-handed layup. They used to, they also used to say players are made in the off season and the team is made in season. But what, I mean, I'm thinking like, why can't we work out our game in the middle of the season? You know? Well, all these cliches, I mean, throw most of them out the door because, again, they don't apply. I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, it's really hard to cliche anything in basketball because it's so specific to individuals, so specific to teams. And I think all great coaches adapt to their personnel and to their team. They do not plug and play. And that is a big change in the game of basketball as well. You see more teams being more adaptable to their roster rather than plug them into a system. And I think some system coaches that still just run their system are struggling more and more. And you see that at the major college basketball level where some of those coaches just, just aren't adapting as quickly to the game where what they ran 20 years ago or 10 years ago as a system does not help their players nowadays and does not really help them in the modern game. And, you know, Baylor was a tremendous example of that. If you watch Baylor film from two years ago versus this year, I mean, they changed a lot to be able to give their players, you know, a structure, but freedom within that structure. And I think that's another thing that you're seeing adaptability wise for coaches is to provide more freedom within structure. Most definitely. I want to keep it on skill development for a bit. Skill training versus player development. Um, what concepts do you believe could help improve basketball skills training going forward? I think it, that's, that's generally just that. What you just said is skill development. What does that mean for people? And I think generally they just think about biomechanical skill when they think about that. But skills are decisions and biomechanical skills combined. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the next frontier is. This is really this, this rise of decision-making, which, you know, I'm grateful we've helped support that. And we've helped bring that to more people's attention is that often the decision is more important than the skill. So why do we spend this obsessive amount of time on just skill development and then remove the decision-making part from it? So I think more mindful training where an athlete's engaged and thinking at the same time they're working on skills. And that's going to be something that, again, I think you're going to see develop over time is a better understanding, again, through resources and access to resources that more and more coaches are understanding some of these skill acquisition principles that aren't new and have been around for 20, 30, 40 years. 
but now coaches have more access to them, you know, through platforms like ours, where we share it, you know, obviously with a podcast, but also with uh, basketball immersion and all the resources that we share as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, this, the decision of when you're going to use these skills are so important, but then you need to have the skill. Like you need that option in the lane to actually use it. If you think you're going to use it, but you haven't worked on it, it, it all goes together, you know? So that's, uh, you know, and you, you brought up this point already too, is like, okay, do we need absolutes though? And I think that's sometimes how coaches coach is like, okay, this is the only thing you can do. We're, yeah, we're only a jump stop team. If you don't jump stop, you're wrong. You know, that's where we get into the danger of it. So I like how you phrase that. And what we want is we need skill. We need biomechanical skill because that presents possibilities. Yes. Right. They have more possibility, possible solutions. And that's where I think that we kind of get this weird understanding of what we're talking about. We don't need a player to use one of our daily dozen moves. What we need is that our players are able to find a solution based on the decision they made. Yeah. You look at Kyrie Irving, who, who has more solutions than that? That's, that's like the, that's who I think of when I think of options and solutions and craft around the rim and all that, you know, he's incredible. And you think about someone like that and you go again, we, and I'm a coach, but we overvalue coaches in someone's development. Wow. You know, yeah. Kyrie definitely needed coaching. He definitely needed guidance. He definitely needed instruction. He needed all those things. But what he also needed is an incredibly passionate desire to improve and to work on his game on his own. And no question, he developed so much of that finishing ability, not from a coach telling him exactly what to do, but by him screwing around in a gym and him experimenting and him experiencing. Yes. And that's such a part of it as well. Yeah. Um, I wanted to shift to the college game. I always think it would be great with the NBA and the college to have some sort of uniformity when it comes to rules. I know it can't be exact uniformity because, you know, overseas and abroad, the the rules are a lot more similar when we're going through juniors and to the highest levels of overseas pro basketball. Um, Are there any changes you'd like to see made to the college game? And do you believe uniformity would be great as well? Well, you know, FIBA rules are played in everywhere, but America and and FIBA rules, uh, tried and true, uh, and the NBA essentially is is FIBA rules. I mean, they have some adapt, adaptations that are a little beyond FIBA, but generally I think FIBA and the NBA are mostly aligned now with a lot of the philosophy. So I, I just think the college game would be so, would so benefit going to a shorter shot clock, 24 seconds. Again, kids around the world are playing 24 seconds, so it's not hard for a college team to adapt. It gives more power to the players and less control to the coach which as we know in the college game is probably necessary because coaches are coaches are so good, especially defensively that if we give them time to control the game, we, they can really make the game ugly and defensive. And I think what we've seen in the rest of the world is the game has become more offensive. And if we're looking at attracting young people to play basketball, one of the attractions beyond any other sport is the amount of scoring. People like to score. Let's be honest. What, you know, we, we can all sit here and say we love playing defense, but we're saying that for the coach's benefit, right? We're saying yeah, that. Not me, Chris. I did benefit. not. I did not. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. And look, you love playing defense because it helped your team win. Yeah, right, right, like, right. At the end of the day, what did you love? You love getting buckets. Right, and right. And that's where the rules could change. And making those around me better. I love that too, you know. Totally, totally. <laughs> um, you know, and advancing the ball under two minutes. Like the, the, women's, the women's NCAA game went to under one minute. But FIBA's had done this for years, and it's proven. Like, advancing the ball under two minutes adds so much strategy and fun to the game. And the NCAA game would benefit tremendously from that as well. 
Yeah, we cover the draft often here. I'm not going to get into individual players with you, but I would like to know what skills do you see are most transferable from the college game to the NBA game that you see? Well, shooting, yeah. shooting, no question. I mean, shooting is the number one skill nowadays. If you can shoot it, whatever your size, you know, there's a good chance you can find a place to play, uh, you know, at, uh, at, uh, at some level. The, the one thing that I also, you know, you know, no matter what, I mean, there's, there's this size, there's this athleticism, this genetic component to basketball. It still is so important. I mean, you look at someone like Kevin Durant, you go, what makes him unique is obviously he's incredibly skilled, but he's also incredibly tall and long. And those things combined just make him a tremendous player. And, uh, you know, we still look for those things and we still should look for those things. But I think there's also a danger in the development levels to focus on those things too much and uh, ignore skill. Like you look at someone like Luka Doncic, and at some point somebody might have said he's not athletic enough. And, you know, right. to a certain extent, maybe he isn't relative to the top, you know, 5% in the NBA, but relative to his skill, he's perfectly athletic and perceptually athletic as well, which is another component that gradually we'll get into more and more, I think, as coaches and identifying potential players through draft processes, their ability to be able to perceive and make decisions. Yeah, I mean, there's part there's parts of Luka Doncic's game that are very athletic. Like he's six, eight, six, nine. And the way he decelerates is amazing. Uh, body control. I mean, there's so much more to athleticism than just jumping out the gym, you know? Well, deceleration is a really key part. And I know uh, they did that study on uh, James Harden being one of yes. the world-class stoppers. And it's no yeah. question. That's a skill that we would have undervalued probably a bunch of years ago, but now we just, we understand that the ability to be able to stop and accelerate or deaccelerate and all these different things. And it's not just jumping and dunking. It's, it's certainly, that's a part of it, but basketball has a lot of athleticism that can blend in with skill to make a player effective. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the cliches and there's a cliche that all great minds think alike or something to that effect. And, you know, you've had a lot of great minds on your podcast and you ask a lot of great questions, but when you get an answer that you're surprised by, or you disagree with from such a great coach, and I'd like to know this as a podcaster myself, how do you handle that on the podcast and how do you go about it? Well, it all starts from respect, right? And, right. Uh, you know, there's no question. I disagree a lot. And I think people sometimes, you know, misconstrue and say like, oh, listen, you're always agreeing. And I'm like, well, no, it's their time. This is their platform. It's not yes. my time. And right. it's not me who's the focus, right? So if you disagree with me, that's cool. And there's a different place for that disagreement to take place. But you can certainly ask a follow-up question and kind of get to the gist of it and kind of get a little bit deeper in terms of the philosophy. And if I disagree, that's what I ultimately try and do is to try and kind of ask a follow-up question to be able to kind of clarify for me what they're actually saying. And maybe it goes deeper than what I interpret it. And that's where it's a danger, obviously, in judging something is like, we don't really know. And this really, sh like you and I watch a team play and we question their strategy on defense. Well, it's like, this is the one time we saw them play. That's not fair to be able to question them necessarily. So generally you question it a little bit, but you move on to. So, I mean, let's say in the future, you do coach a team. You think there are things before this basketball podcast that you weren't really thinking about and that you would add now from just having the basketball podcast and all these great conversations? A hundred percent. I mean, how yeah. could I not 
improve as a coach listening to this many podcasts. Right. And as you know, just asking questions. Right. And I think that's what's often misunderstood in someone's development is it's the power of the question. To me, that's always been an obsession is like the question I can ask someone. And, you know, I'm a shy introvert basically. And, but I've always found confidence and strength in being able to ask a question that, that deepens understanding rather than just as superficial, like how's the weather, you know, that doesn't help me, but you know, understanding deeper, that's been obviously a big part of it. So I've always loved that aspect of it. And uh, there's probably the two areas. The one is psychological safety that's come through in so many of the podcasts is just, it made me question and reflect on whether I did a good enough job creating psychological safety for my players in terms of them truly understanding that uh, they were valued every day. They were important every day and that their effort and their making mistakes helped them improve. And then the second area I would say that shines through is just this concept of aftercare. Did I do a good enough job after practice, after games in helping my players move on or helping my players enjoy the moment, you know, all these different things that I can do to help accentuate my players experience. A lot of that happens in these, what I call mini conversations, and it could be texting, it could be, you know, in person, it could be the phone, but these mini conversations, I think I undervalued them, even though I understood them. That's what Sean threw in almost every podcast is you don't build relationships with speeches and dinners. You build relationships with mini conversations and being able to connect with your players. Yeah. And I think that's what everybody misses the most when they stop playing and stop coaching, right? The locker room talk, the conversations, it's not only the X's and O's. It is not the X's and O's. I mean, we love the X's and O's and no matter what, I mean, basketball immersion, I mean, no matter what I tweet, it's still the plays that get the most attention, right? right. Yep. You know, they get the most likes, they get the most impressions. And I'm like, I'm somewhat surprised because definitely with myself and Alex Rama, my partner with basketball immersion, we're more into sharing how to coach rather than the what to coach, even though we share that too. But it's funny because we have these conversations all the time and go, oh, well, that play got a thousand likes and uh, us talking about how you teach the game got 30, you know? Right. So it's yeah. like people love plays and that's cool. I mean, I love plays. So it's, yeah. it's really cool to be able to see that aspect of it. But I think the coaches that are really, really searching for, is there a better way are diving deeper into the, how the coach part, and that includes coaches, trainers, whatever it may be. Chris, this was awesome. Please let everybody know where they could find you on social media, everywhere else, maybe a little bit more about basketball immersion Oh, yeah. The floor is yours. Well, thanks, Andrew. And Basketball Immersion, I mean, I'm here to share, not sell, but basketballimmersion.com is where you go. And uh, at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I'm just grateful. I mean, we created a platform for people to be able to stimulate their thinking, improve their coaching. And uh, without question, I feel that the best player development is coach development. So if a coach invest in themselves. And that's why basketball immersion, it's a full year membership where you get access to small sided games, learning BDT, basketball decision training, uh, different types of games approaches to be able to coach within the context of the game through constraints and different things like that. And then as I said, access to 70 plus master classes of experts around the world. I mean, just this, this kind of depth of being able to immerse yourself in learning. And I can guarantee that a coach will come out after a year with a better understanding of who they are as a coach and a better understanding of who they want to be as well and who they can be. Because I think that's often the case, Andrew. There's no question that no matter what, we all have time 
and energy to be able to invest in our improvement because it improves our experience and we, our players are going to have a better experience. And that's really what basketballimmersion.com is all about. And uh, you can find the podcast there as well. And uh, I think we're approaching episode 260 or something, 265. It's crazy to I'm, think. I'm, I know. I'm in that same range. It's good crazy. for you. Yeah. yeah. We're the same it's fun, eh? <laughs> oh, it's great. It's great. You learn so much. You get to share people's stories. I love it. I love it, Chris. Chris, it was great having you on the show. You're always welcome back and talk soon. Thank you, Andrew. Take care. Anytime. You too. Hey, there it is. Another episode of Combos Court. Thank you to everyone who listens to the show across the globe. And big shouts to Chris for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, man. Share this episode. Share it on Twitter. Share it on Facebook. Share it on Instagram. Share it all over social media. Tag me in it. Greatly appreciate you. If you would like to support the podcast even further, you could check out the Combos Court Patreon page. I'll leave a link in the description for that. There's two tiers, and on one of those tiers, you can receive exclusive Patreon-only Combos Court episodes. Be on the lookout for episode 270. Combo out.